in the cinema. So soft. Hey everyone, Eugene Weaver here. Time for another episode of Cinema's Soft Underbelly. Your place to find all things horror, unique, weird, out there, bizarro, hard to find, grindhouse, gems in the rough. And today, uh, I was planning on continuing with some trauma stuff. Uh, However, after two episodes of chatting up trauma, I'm like, yeah, okay, Eugene needs a little bit of a break from the trauma movies. As much as I love them, they're, uh, they can, they can get to be tedious talking about them because, uh, the in-house trauma movies all share a very similar feel. So it just feels like I'm talking about one gigantic 20 hour long movie of, of bad gore, bad actors and bad, you know, Bad everything set in New York somewhere, uh, which is where they're based. So I thought, you know, I, I was going to uh, cover the class of Newcomb High movies, and I'm going to do that. I am going to do that, but uh, I thought that I would just take a small break from that. And I've <clears throat> I've recently watched a couple of very good movies, and I thought, you know, um, I'm not sure where these would really fit in with other segments. So it's going to be kind of a recently watched, but just kind of like a couple scraps here and there of movies that I just thought that I should bring to your attention. And hopefully you've seen them or I've heard of them and it might be something that you might be interested in. So um, I am going to start with one that was uh, a true gem in the rough. And I can't believe that I've never, ever seen this movie. And it must have just escaped me when it came out. Uh... Everything about it says Eugene would like this movie, yet for some reason I never got around to watching it. Uh, and this was probably back, this was still when I was not really able to go watch movies by myself. It came out in 1989, and so that's probably one of the reasons is because there's nothing about this that looks remotely interesting to my parents. So uh, that's probably why I never got to see the movie. But it is uh, 1989's The Burbs, directed by Joe Dante. And uh, recently it became available on Netflix in HD, as well as Arrow released a beautiful limited limited edition 10 over in the UK. And I thought, but that's odd that Arrow, of all companies, would release this movie. Like, they recently released Porky's as well. Uh, I guess that kind of makes a little bit more sense, raunchy R-rated slob comedy, but The Burbs, I'm like, PG, I think, or P- it says here PG, uh, after watching it, I mean, it really presses towards PG-13, however, it does say PG, so, uh, and this might be one of the first PG-rated movies that I talk about on Soft Underbelly, but it is, in my opinion, a true gem in the rough, even though it did bring in, I'm looking here, uh, it brought in $36,602 in, at box office in here in the United States back when it was released. And back in 89, I would consider that to be a, a pretty good success. Directed by Joe Dante, and Joe Dante is a great director. Uh, he has done so many good movies, and it's just sad that that he doesn't get 
more recognition. Uh, he's done Piranha, The Howling. He did uh, a great segment in the Twilight Zone movie. Uh, it was a great segment of that movie. Probably my favorite one. Did Gremlins, Explorers. He did some. Uh, he did a couple episodes on Amazing Stories, an episode of the '80s Twilight Zone, Inner Space. Uh, he did Gremlins to the New Batch, although that one there, it's not near as good as the first one. But it's interesting to watch, especially if you know the backstory on that movie and how much headbutting he was doing with the studio. Uh, and it shows. And and he actually has sly ways of putting little digs of the studio into that movie. Uh, he also did Small Soldiers, which I think was, de- was decent. And Looney Tunes Back in Action, I guess that was a complete and total nightmare with, with how that went down and with what the... Uh, uh, with what the studio wanted and what his vision of of that movie was supposed to be. And f- from what I hear, there was a lot more headbutting on that thing, and so the end result was a movie that pretty much flopped. Uh, he also did The Hole, which was a uh, decent enough little uh, teenage thriller horror type thing. It was good for a watch. And then he had uh, two, uh, two episodes on Masters of Horror, uh, as did Dario Argento, and uh, John Carpenter, amongst others, uh, but his his uh, his movies on that were or short short movies, I guess, were okay, but nothing nothing great. Uh, so anyway, uh, I really like the director. I think he's good. I think that he has a very sly, keen sense of humor, and it definitely translates well over into uh, into his movies, especially The Burbs, and. Uh, this one here stars Tom Hanks and I, as the main star. And Tom Hanks was was getting to be a pretty big star at this point, but I don't think that he had reached that uh, Forrest Gump pinnacle of of star acting uh, to where he is now. To where it's you know he's in you know Angels and Demons, Da Vinci Code, and uh, Captain Phillips and uh, Apollo thirteen. All those movies. He hadn't quite got there yet. He was still st- starring in stuff like Volunteers with John Candy and then, like, The Burbs here. Um, but the cast is just dynamite. Uh, we got Tom Hanks, Bruce Dern, who's hilarious, Carrie Fisher, and that's the Carrie Fisher, Star Wars Carrie Fisher. Corey Feldman's in this, and he's great. He is, uh, this was, like, right after he he hit it big with The Lost Boys and Friday the 13th Part 4 and, and Goonies, and he was... Uh, much more a like you know sixteen year old teenager, so he was doing you know kind of the hair metal type look, and he was great in this movie. He fit perfectly in this movie. And there's other actors in this. Dick Miller has a cameo, and uh, almost any movie that has Dick Dick Miller in a small cameo is going to be a win. I think that he's great. I love to see him pop up in in all these movies. Uh, but it, it's one of those movies where as you're watching it, you're like, oh wait, I know him. I've I've seen him. In something else, uh, so it's one of those movies. But uh, the reason that I'm bringing this up, this movie up on Cinema Soft Underbelly, is it's oddly dark subject matter and the goofy humor that plays into it. And uh, I don't have a Blu-ray of it. I have not imported the Arrow release yet. It's too expensive. And being the uh, the version on Netflix streaming in HD is, I think, uh, gorgeous. I. I watched it and I'm like, this is this is fantastic looking, way 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 better than than DVD. 
Uh, so I'm just going to read the synopsis here on, uh, on IMDb. The uh, story takes place in a typical American neighborhood where some new neighbors come to live in the house next to Ray Peterson. That would be Tom Hanks. These new people are very, very strange. No one has ever seen them. Their house is a mess, and during the night, you can hear weird noises in the basement. The only thing they know is their name. Uh, Clopex. One day, Walter, who is an old man uh, living in the neighborhood, suddenly disappears, and everyone starts to suspect these this new family that has moved in. <clears throat> so, and Tom Hanks, basically, him and Bruce Dern, and Corey Feldman, and uh, Rick uh, Ducommon, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He's he's their other their other neighbor, and they they decide they're going to figure out what's going on. Why is their neighbor missing? What's going on with this creepy new family? And by new family, it's two very weird. Austrian or German guys, I think, and then an Irish kid or Irish teenager. Uh, just a weird, weird uh, ensemble of characters in this thing. And so uh, hilarity ensues. This movie is very funny uh, from start to finish. My wife, who gets really tired of 80s movies, she was like, yeah, that was, that was a really good movie. And so... That's that says something in my opinion. It helps that the movie is relatively clean, although it does still cater to what I like. So it's got some dark stuff in it, and uh, I I really like that. So uh, just some notes here on the movie. I, this is one of those. If you haven't seen, the more you see, or the more the less you know, the better going into it because it really is a fun movie. Uh, there's there's this is just sly little ways that that Joe Dante got some cool stuff into this movie. Uh, the, uh, there's at one point Ray Peterson is, uh, uh, he's playing on, he's changing the channels on the TV and he flips through like three different movies and they're all awesome. There, one is Race with the Devil from 1975, then The Exorcist, and then The Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, Tobe Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Part 2. And I just thought it was hilarious that horror movie, horror movie, horror movie. And I, I believe that they actually had to cut some of the scenes that were showing on TV back because it was deemed too inappropriate for a PG rated movie. So they actually had to cut some of that out. Uh, the version that I saw, uh, they're getting ready to sacrifice a girl and race with the devil, but they don't quite show it. And then the exorcist is Linda Blair is throwing up pea soup all over the priest. And then Texas chainsaw massacre part two, Leatherface bursts into the radio station and, uh, screaming ensues, but then they cut. So there you go. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, so, uh, just a couple other, couple other interesting things here. The beginning of the movie where the camera starts to pan down the street, a street sign appears and it says Mayfield place. And Mayfield was the town where the Cleavers lived in leave it to Beaver. So the movie was filmed on the same lot. So that's why they named it that. I think that's kind of neat. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, according to the book, the films of Tom Hanks, uh, Joe Dante once said of this film, I can't think of many pictures since Lifeboat, 1944, that all take place in the same area. There was a lot of temptation to broaden it and go outside the neighborhood, but it seems to violate the spirit of the piece. It, it's almost the kind of thing that could be a stage play, except that you could never do on stage what we've done in this movie. And that's so true, is this all takes place in the confines of a couple people's houses all beside each other on this street. And I love that. It, it felt much bigger than it actually was. Uh, 
you know, it just seems like there's a lot going, and there is a lot going on, but the fact that they kept it all in uh, one little confined area, and you don't really realize it when you're watching it, uh, I thought was was really, really cool, and uh, it worked very, very well for 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 this movie. So, um, in the original script, Ray Peterson was supposed to actually be killed by the doctor. Uh, however, once Tom Hanks was cast in the role, the studio didn't think that audi- the audience would appreciate witnessing his death on screen, so the ending had to be reworked. And uh, several alternate endings of the film had been shot, and I had I have been reading about this. Um, so, and, and I'm I'm just reading over it, and I'm I'm not going to keep reading what those alternate endings were, although they're not in the movie, but it does give hints to how this movie actually ends, and if you haven't seen the movie, I don't want to tell you those alternate endings, because it, it hints to that, so I don't want to go there, uh, but the movie is a complete guessing game the whole way through, as well as being quite, quite funny, so... Um, Anyway, uh, at the time the movie was being filmed, Corey Feldman and Michael Jackson were close friends. And I, I do remember this because uh, I've always have been a huge Michael Jackson fan. And I actually remember when Jackson and Corey Feldman were, were friends. And uh, while Jackson did not visit the set, his famous chimpanzee Bubbles was a frequent guest uh, but had to be confined to Feldman's trailer while he was filming. And after shooting, Corey would return to his trailer to find that the uh, chimpanzee had uh, had crapped and spread the mess all over the interior. And this problem repeated itself and became such a distraction that Joe Dante eventually banned Bubbles from the set. So there you go. Michael Jackson, Bubbles, and Joe Dante all together in one little unique, interesting story. Um, so anyway, there's some other, there's some other stuff that I could, I could talk about that, uh, that, you know, it, it's kind of interesting uh, early in the movie when, uh, uh, when one of the actors is eating breakfast, a box of Gremlins cereal can be seen on the kitchen counter in the background. And director Joe Dante also directed Gremlins, obviously. And uh, Corey Feldman was in was in Gremlins, so I think that's kind of kind of cool. Um, anyway, that's I'm not going to keep on reading the the trivia. It's it's a really really good movie. I give this thing a big thumbs up. I gave it four out of five stars actually, which is uh, which is I think. Very, very good for a movie that I've never seen from the 80s, and it's one that I know from this point on I'm going to revisit time and time again, uh, as I'm sure I'm going to be picking up more and more stuff. I just wish that Joe Dante would still be making movies like this that are funny, yet kind of a little bit twisted and a little bit darker uh, and have some black humor in it. I, I think it works so good, and he's so good at that. So, anyway, that's The Burbs. Uh, next up is I've already talked about... Uh, I've done several episodes of Mario Bava's work, and this is the complete and total 100% polar opposite of The Burbs, but I just wanted to throw this movie in there because I just watched it, and uh, I'm not going to do it. I'm I'm probably not going to be doing another Mario Bava episode in the near future, and so I thought I'll just kind of shoehorn this one in here just as a way of bringing this movie up because it does have some cool stuff in it that I would like to talk about briefly. And that is 1965's Planet of the Vampires. And uh, obviously directed by Mario Bava. Uh, and I'm pulling this up here on IMDb. <clears throat> just got the Blu-ray of this. And just got done watching it, actually. And uh, I'm going to read the back of the Blu-ray here. A close encounter of the undead kind. When a crew of unsuspecting astronauts intercepts a distress call from a distant world, the stage is set for a terrifying expedition into the beyond. What seems like a desperate cry for help leaves the space travelers trapped on a shadowy planet 
where each is taken over by a diabolical force intent with an evil plan beyond their worst nightmares. Now in glorious high definition, and I will chime in here on that, it looks fantastic. For a 1965 movie, it is amazing. In fact, it looks so good that it brings to light all of the extremely fake, hokey, cheesy special effects. But more on that later. Uh, This is a dazzling mixture of suspense, sci-fi, and full-blooded horror from cinematic maestro Mario Bava. Inspired decades of chilling alien classics and now proudly stands as one of the most electrifying, visually stunning cult classics of Italian filmmaking's golden age. And I will give this movie... uh, high props for a number of reasons. It The movie itself is not that terribly great. It actually meanders way too, way too much. Um, we've got our spaceship full of, of space travelers. They land on this planet, distress, distressed call, and there's another spaceship involved. One of their other sister spaceships is, uh, is in danger. And... Uh, and there is something on the planet that is basically turning them into vampires. And but it meanders way too long. This would have been a great short film, uh, but instead it's it's drug out to 88 minutes long. And there's a lot of quote unquote exploring, which means Italian actors walking around an Italian set with cheesy special effects in hilariously bad costumes. Their costumes are uh, watching it. I'm like, there is no way that they were miserable making this movie because the suits looked like leather. And it was extremely tight, and then the leather would go up onto their necks and onto the back of their heads, and and it looked just watching it, it looked like they were hot. Like a lot of times they were sweating, and of course they can breathe on this planet, um, which they explained somehow. I, I don't even remember, but uh, I just thought it was funny that they looked miserable, and the suits looked cheesy, cool for for sixties spacesuits, but it was just funny that uh, they had to wear these things. It looked like something out of a bad 80s hair metal band getup. So uh, I would, I, I guess, I suppose I'll read some of the cast. Barry Sullivan was in this. Uh, Barry Sullivan, uh, I've seen him before in some other stuff. Uh, let me just pull him up here. Um, uh, let's see here. What else has he done? Uh, he's been, boy, he's been in a ton of movies and a ton of TV shows. Um, Hawaii Five-0, uh, oh my goodness, the list goes, you know what, he's been in a lot of stuff, trust me, and I'm guessing that, uh, you would probably recognize him, because he did look familiar. Uh, so, here's what's interesting about this movie, is watching it, I'm like, you know, certain things in this movie remind me of... Uh, Ridley Scott's Alien a lot the look of the spaceships the exploring of the planet um, and so I go online and I'm like aha I, 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 I wasn't wrong in thinking that this movie actually does play or I don't want to say play pay homage uh, Alien actually gets some of its ideas Ridley Scott's Alien and Dan O'Bannon wrote the script from this movie and there's even a couple scenes in uh, in Planet of the Vampires, that reminded me of Return of the Living Dead, directed by Dan O'Bannon. And so I'm guessing that Dan O'Bannon was probably a pretty big fan of Mario Bava's Planet of the Vampires, and I think that's really cool. Mario Bava's son, Lombardo Bava, began his career uh, as his father's assistant, and then Lombardo later became a director himself, and he's gone on to do Demons and Demons 2. Lombardo has done a ton of movies, and... uh, Unfortunately, I don't. His claim to fame is demons, but 
I don't think that he reached the heights of Mario Bava himself. So uh, Mario Bava used the uh, mirror-based Shuften process to combine live action with miniatures and thereby avoiding the costly matte optical printing techniques. And that is something that you'll notice if you watch this movie is they definitely have something that they're they're trying to do. It's not matte paintings, but there's they're they're doing something to where you see characters like at the bottom of the screen and they're investigating this big planet, but it doesn't quite look right. Uh, and so uh, anyway, I just thought that was kind of neat. And I'm always up for unique cool, fascinating little ways to get by on uh, on a low budget. So uh, this movie went through 15 different titles before it was finally decided that the movie should be named Planet of the Vampires. And I actually think that it works quite well for what it is. Um, it has a couple of really, really cool scenes as well as some great Italian music from back in that time. And as with some other Mario Bava movies, this one has a killer ending that is something that feels straight out of a Tales from the Crypt comic book from way back when, um, or the shocking science or what, usually like back in the, back in those old EC comic days. And I have a bunch of them. It was split up into two different sections in the Tales from the Crypt comic books. The first half was all horror. And then the second half was either crime drama or, uh, science fiction. And this truly feels like one of those old science fiction comic book stories, especially because of that ending. And um, just like Rabid Dogs, without without that killer ending, I don't think I would have liked Rabid Dogs as much as I did. And the same applies here. I really dug the ending of this movie. You might see it coming a mile away. Um, I didn't, uh, but, you know, uh, that's okay. I was... I was into the whole cheesiness of it, and I was like, oh, all right, let's see where this thing is going. Um, so anyway, I don't want to spoil the ending, but it, it was uh, quite interesting. So uh, anyway, so that's, uh, that's Planet of the Vampires. I just wanted to throw that in there. It's not, by no means is it up there with Mario Bava's best stuff, but it is immensely watchable. And the fact that this, that, that there are, there are pieces of alien in this movie. Even the skeleton, there's a big skeleton creature thing in this movie. And I'm like, huh, kind of looks like the engineer from Alien. And uh, so I think that's very cool. So anyway, give it a watch, but keep expectations low. And if you're into this sort of thing, this is the, si- the type of thing that honestly would have probably been on a mystery science theater. And uh, and right, rightly so. However, that doesn't mean that it's not an entertaining movie. I think that it is an entertaining movie, so... Anyway, that is Planet of the Vampires. I can't spend a whole lot more time on that movie because I've only watched it once and uh, I don't have too much else to say about the movie So, uh, any, without giving too much of it away. So anyway, so anyway, the last movie that I'm going to talk about is, uh, is a movie that, honestly, this isn't really soft underbelly stuff here. It is horror-related, I guess, but this is a classic movie. It's getting a Criterion Collection release. Uh, but this is a very, very well-regarded movie uh, amongst critics and fans, and it actually is. I believe it was rated by. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure which which magazine rated it as the number one horror movie ever made uh, in uh, in Britain. I think it was Nicholas Rogue's Don't Look Now from 1973, starring Donald Sutherland, Julie Christie, uh, Hilary Mason. Um, 
I'm going to read the back of this movie, and Empire says it's poignant, beautiful, and devastating. Roger Ebert says one of the great horror masterpieces. Um, back of the movie is, widely acclaimed as one of the greatest horror films ever made. Um, Don't Look Now is based on, I'm not going to try to pronounce this guy's name. It's a shattering short story, supposedly, okay? Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie give career best performances as John and Laura Baxter, an art restorer and his wife struggling to recover from the trauma of their daughter's accidental drowning. Um, to try to get over their grief, the young British couple travel to uh, wintry Venice on a working holiday to restore a church. Once there, they get involved with two otherworldly sisters, Heather and Wendy, one of whom is a blind medium who insists she can get them in touch with their late daughter and warns them of danger. A truly original work that blends psychological thriller with a disturbing sense of the macabre, Don't Look Now often also offers a profound and poignant m- Meditation of love and loss, making evocative use of its disquieted, out-of-season setting, and emerging generation of directors. Uh, not less even, uh, there's there's so many directors that have taken cues from this movie, have cited the film as an influence, uh, ensuring that its reputation as a modern classic continues to grow. This movie is. Uh, it took me two times to 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 fully appreciate it. The first time I watched this movie, I was like, "Are you kidding me? Uh, this sucks. It's boring. Ugh. Let's go." The second time I watched it, however, I'm like. Wow, okay. You can't watch this movie thinking it is a horror movie. Uh, in my opinion, it's not. It's very disturbing, but it's a more disturbing psychological drama with possibly some supernatural undertones. Um, there is a sex scene in this movie that was uh, that was so graphic. Uh, it just it, you're like, whoa. Um, and it ties in with with these later on with these mediums that are connected with the this this daughter that had drowned and the couple and everything is interwoven and Donald Sutherland plays such a key role in this movie as the grieving father as past present and future all kind of converge in this movie and I I I can't say too much about this movie simply because I can't give things away in this movie I will say this however uh, Venice, where the movie was shot, has never looked dirtier and grittier and more unappealing. It's a place you don't want to be in this movie, and that is so far from what Venice actually is. I've been to Venice, and it is gorgeous. And that's why I loved the fact that they've turned Venice into this disturbing, dirty, sickly city where there's something shady going on. Uh, there is no subtitles for the Italian language, which isn't that much, but they... The director did that so that you are as a stranger in a strange land as our lead actors are. And it works brilliantly to where you're like, you get just enough. You're like, okay, I, I know what's going on, but it's like, ah, what are they saying? And it, I love that. I think that's that's brilliant. Um, uh, again, Donald Sutherland's character is so key in this story and how everything plays out. Uh, and yes, there is supernatural undertones to this movie, and it has a humdinger of an ending let me tell you that ending is creepy and it's so bizarro that it feels like um oh boy how do i say this uh it feels like something out of a david cronenberg movie or even even a david lynch movie i guess it's just so um it's it's out there and i i can't i can't uh i can't say too much about it because i don't want to spoil this this fantastic movie um so Again, the less you know about this movie, the better, but it does deal so strongly with grief and guilt and trying to get over that and 
not being able to, how it devastates a marriage, uh, and what about that afterlife? What about it? And is it there? Is it not? What about foreseeing the future? What about... Uh, I, I can't say too much about this movie, I guess. I, um, I will say this, though, that uh, in um, the James Bond movie Casino Royale, uh, there was a scene shot in Venice, and the director said that that was directly, directly lifted from this movie. And you can tell uh, there's little glimpses of of when when uh, James Bond is searching for the girl. There's just little glimpses of his his lover. He sees her, and it's something straight out of this movie with Donald Sutherland supposedly, maybe, possibly seeing his deceased daughter running around the streets of Venice. Um, but Steven Soderbergh. Has has done different things in um, oh the one with George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez. There's a couple shots where they're where he's having sex with Jennifer Lopez, and then they cut to them eating a meal. And that scene from I think don't look uh, oh man I it, it escapes me. And I, I don't have the time to try and search for it, but it's you'll know it if if you know what I'm talking about. Um, that was li- directly lifted from the sex scene in this movie. Is the way it was shot, how it how it has two completely separate scenes that are interspliced together, and they work beautifully. It's such a cool way to do things, um, to to keep you kind of like, whoa, what's going on here? Uh, so I thought that was brilliant. Uh, so anyway, amongst many, many, many other movies, there is a ton of other movies that that uh, that seem to take reference from this movie. This was played on a double bill with The Wicker Man in 1973, and what a double bill that would have been. Man, a whole lot of disturbing going on for about three hours long, or uh, this movie's actually almost two hours, so about, yeah, a long time. But uh, Wicker Man is another fantastic movie. So although this does not really fit in with Cinema's Soft Underbelly because it is not really Soft Underbelly, this is more of a very highly regarded cinematic masterpiece of its time. I did want to mention it, and I wanted to bring it up, and I highly recommend you watch it. Keep your expectations in check, though, because it is a slow-moving drama uh, with very uh, serious actors doing serious things. It, this is not cheesy. This is not silly, fake, gory, or anything like that. It's, uh, it's a powerful movie, and it took me two times to really appreciate what it was and I do appreciate it and I'm glad that I have it in my collection I actually have the UK Blu-ray release of this and this is getting the Criterion release here soon in the States so um, that's good I could actually talk more about that movie and especially bringing up other movies that have paid uh, tribute to this movie uh, and the same with same with Planet of the Vampires I think that's great when I when you see newer movies that pay homage to these older classics so Highly recommend Don't Look Now for what it is, as well as Planet of the Vampires. If you're into something silly and cheesy from the 60s, uh, go for it. And then The Burbs is just 80s cool. you got to watch it. So anyway, that's going to do it for my episode today. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope that you give all three of these movies a chance because they're all great movies in their own right. Planet of the Vampires might not be great, but it's, it's certainly worthy of a watch. You can get a hold of me at eugene-weaver at hotmail.com with any questions, concerns, comments, movies you want me to see, movies you don't want me to see, movies that you're, uh, you're thinking I should talk about. I'd love to hear from you. And uh, more than likely tonight, I'm going to be doing another podcast taping with my co-host Eric Marner from Movie Freaks. So be sure to tune in to Movie Freaks over on YouTube currently. And then our friends over at Cinema Sidekicks. And they're talking all things new release. So hopefully they're going to, uh, one of them or both of them will be seeing uh, the... 
Ridley Scott Exodus movie soon, so we can find out if that's any good. Is that worth seeing in the theaters, or is that one to hold off and wait for the inevitable director's cut on Blu-ray? So that's going to do it for me today. I appreciate you listening, and until next time.